Good morning, everybody. Good morning, yeah. Man, it's a good day here at Crosswalk, and we're so glad that you're here, that you're a part of this community. Thank you guys for hearing the words of Tim and taking it all seriously. We are so grateful um, that, that we are a community that loves one another and cares for one another. Um, I know it's kind of weird to, and, and crazy to see the world again kind of shifting. And as church leaders, we're constantly looking out and thinking, what is the best for our community? What is the best thing we can do? Um, and I want to give a shout out to everybody who is a medical professional here. I have medical professionals in my life. Um, and I remember the, the anxieties, the fears, the things that were experienced in 2020. And I can feel kind of that coming up. And I just want to give a huge shout out, especially if there's anybody in here here watching online who is a medical professional. We love you guys. You guys are our heroes and you have all our love and support. Yeah. Thank you, Crosswalk. Um, my name is Isai. I'm the worship pastor here at Crosswalk Redlands. I'm grateful to be here. Everybody's on vacation, so you got your, your B team. I'm just kidding. <laughs> our team is fire, man. Worship this morning was crazy. That was amazing. <laughs> they are so good. I am so grateful to be at a church where we can just lean into worship and, and worship freely. Uh, what, a, what a privilege that is. So I want to start off by asking you guys a question. Have you ever been looking at somebody, right? Have you, have you ever looked at somebody doing something that they believe is completely normal, but you can clearly tell makes absolutely no sense? Have you ever done that? Have you ever looked at somebody doing something, then while they're in it, they're like, they're like going for it, right? They believe that's the way to go. But you have some clarity, and you're looking in, and you're like, mm, that's not it. Um, or maybe the better question is this. Have you ever been the person who's been doing something, and you think that what you're doing is just spot on, it's the right way, and somebody else can tell uh, what they're doing makes absolutely no sense. If that's been you, say, mm-hmm. Some, a couple honest people here in the house. <laughs> uh, this happened to me um, recently, and this continues to happen to me as I uh, go through life. Um, last year, we got a dog. Her name is Maya. Can you guys, uh, can you pull a picture of Maya here? This is Maya. Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kirkland sponsored me. Yeah, shout out to Costco. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, anyways, this is Maya. She is beautiful. She is a Labrador. She is, this was her first birthday. She's one. All right. And we got her smack dab in the middle of the pandemic. And so she brought so much life, so much joy to our home. Um, and uh, my wife is so good at like getting, like learning everything you need to learn to be like the best dog parent. You know, when you're going to get a you know, furry friend, you are going to look stuff up on the internet, right? You're going to try to educate yourself, be the best possible dog parent you could be. And my wife is that. She started looking at videos, reading articles, her, her TikTok. You know how TikTok knows you better than you know yourself? Like it starts telling you, some of you guys know what I'm talking about. She's on dog TikTok. Every single TikTok she gets is just dogs. And she sends me all of these things so that I can read up, I can study and learn how to be a good dog dad. Unfortunately for Maya and also for my wife, I'm sorry, babes, 
I didn't see all those videos, all right? I didn't read all those articles uh, as thoroughly as I probably should have. So I am not always the best. I am not always the most educated. I love Maya a lot. I love my little dog, but uh, I sometimes do the wrong thing. And Hazel's always correcting me. No, try this, try that. This is why you should do this. Don't do this, right? And I'm learning, but I want to be a good dad. And I got excited when one of my best friends in the whole world, Pastor Andy, who is a youth pastor here, he decided to get a dog. He got a dog named Mosby. Can we see Mosby? Oh my gosh. What a cutie. I got excited because I painted a a, a picture in my head. I told him, bro, we are going to be those dog dads, right? We're friends and we're going to be out at the dog parks, you know, and our dogs are going to be friends, right? It's going to be this beautiful relationship. They're going to meet, they're going to frolic in the grass and be, you know, be best friends. And we're going to be so proud to be dog dads. And I had this picture and we were hyping each other up. We cannot wait for the moment that Mike can meet Mosby. It's going to be absolutely beautiful. The time came for Mosby to meet Maya. And um, we thought he would, they would just come in and, uh, and everything was going to go well. Mosby came to the house and instantly it was complete disaster. Can you show a picture of them? This is them together. This, they're calm here, but th- it took so long for us to get them here. Like clearly Mosby is looking at Maya like, I, when I get bigger, I'm going to kill you, you know? And Maya, Maya, I don't know what Maya's doing, but it was a mess, right? So Mosby walks in the door and Maya, she's kind of a, you know, beefy girl, right? She's kind of big. And so she starts wanting to charge towards Mosby. She's really excited and cannot contain her excitement. And Mosby is freaking out, right? Mosby runs and tries to get with Andy, like, what is happening? I've never seen a dog this big. What is going on here, right? And so Andy and I think, oh, what if we just let them go? You know, maybe like, you know, they'll just, I don't know, play and then have fun and then everything. Maya will like assert her dominance somehow and there'll be some level of respect. I don't know, all right? But we thought it'd be a good idea. We let them go and it is disaster, like Tom and Jerry type of situation. Maya's just chasing Mosby. Mosby is running for his life, poor little guy. Um, And it's a mess. They're breaking things, like hitting stuff. They're hitting their head on the table. Like it's just a disaster, right? Ever since then, Andy and I have really tried because our vision of this, you know, nice little bromance that we have and our dogs being friends started collapsing. It was heartbreaking. And, uh, but we kept trying here and there. And last week, uh, we tried again. We're like, you know what? We're going to give this a shot. Our dogs are going to be friends no matter what, whether they like it or not. And so we had some friends over and uh, I called Andy. I'm like, bro, bring Mosby. He's like, are you sure? Yes, today is a day. And so Mosby came to visit our house. The door opens and it's instant disaster again. Just, it's a mess. They start chasing each other. And so we're about to give up, but we think of a brilliant idea. Andy and I have noticed when we've seen other dogs who get along, that one of the things that friendly dogs do to each other is that they smell each other's butts. All right. Have you noticed that? Like dogs who are nice to each other, they sniff and whatever. All right. So we thought, okay, that's what dogs who like each other do. So what if we force our dogs to smell 
each other's butts, right? And they'll, they'll get some sort of like scent or like some sort of hormone or something that will make them be best friends forever, right? And I feel a lot of judgment from this room, all right? I need y'all to tone it down because <laughs> we've all done something, maybe not like this, but we've all done something, all right? So we proceed to grab our dogs and <laughs> one of us would hold our dogs while the other one would grab their little heads, right? And we would try to be, come on, smell, 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 right? It was a mess. And then we would switch, right? Then, all right, your turn. And we'd switch. And we were doing this for a solid, like, three minutes, right? And even our dogs are like, what are you doing? You know, poor little guys. It's not making any sense, but we're in it. We're like, this is it. They're going to smell something, and something is going to make them friends, right? And uh, out of a corner, we hear Uriel. Uriel is one of our, our close friends. He's like the smart guy in the group, you know. Everything he says, you want to like write down. Anyways, we hear Uriel like, guys, what in the world are you doing? And instantly we come to our senses like, what are we doing? It was so embarrassing, right? Like we were in it, it made so much sense. It was clear and Uriel came in like, what in the world? You guys got to be out of your minds. Like poor dogs, why? this is completely unnatural, right? When we were doing this thing, we thought, okay, what we're doing is spot on, but clearly it made absolutely no sense and we needed somebody else to tell us, hey, what you're doing is not good. And one could argue, all right, one could argue that this book that we've been reading, the book of, what is it? Galatians. Good. This book of Galatians is Paul looking at the church in Galatia with so much clarity, with divine clarity, so much that he's able to notice the things that they need to change and call them out. These are the things you need to change. These are the things you need to reevaluate. And these are the things that you need to let go all together. We have arrived to the last text of the book of Galatians. If you haven't read this book, please go read it. It's six chapters long. You can read it in like 20 minutes. Or if you're slow like me, 40 minutes or 45 or an hour. All right? Read it. It will be a blessing to you. Um, so we have arrived to the last uh, text. We're going to read from Galatians chapter 6, verse 11. It says, See what large letters I make when I am writing in my own hand. Paul wrote his letters through dictation. He would say them out loud, and he had some sort of scribe who was writing uh, what he wanted to send, the messages he wanted to send to uh, other cities and other churches. But Paul really liked in a lot of letters to end his letters with his own handwriting. So this is Paul actually writing with his hand, and this served for several reasons. One, it was a nice personal touch, but also it kind of served as a signature. It was kind of proof, hey, this letter is legit. Even if this is sloppy handwriting, this is Paul. Maybe through the sloppy handwriting, you will know that this is Paul. But he is writing all of this that we read today is with his own handwriting. Verse 12 says, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh that try to compel you to be circumcised, only that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Even the circumcised do not themselves obey the law, but they want you to be circumcised so that they may boast about your flesh. Now, as we've studied through this book of Galatians, you have noticed that circumcision is one of the themes here. It's talked about a lot. 
So Jesus, as you guys know, was a Jew. But so a lot of the Christian movement came out of the Jewish context. But we also know this to be true, that the good news of Jesus, the good news of new life and new creation cannot be limited or put in the boxes that society has, has the boundaries that society has created. It can't, it transcends everything. Uh, the good news of Jesus transcends any sort of economic boundary, any sort of ethnic boundary, any sort of religious boundaries that we have set up. The good news of Jesus transcends any sort of is bigger, cannot be contained to any one religion or religious framework. So in this time, many people who were called pagans or Jewish people called pagans, they came to hear the good news of Jesus and they wanted to follow Christ. And this kind of messed a lot of things up. This was groundbreaking stuff. This was making every, everybody confused, all right? Um, there, it affected different areas of society. First off, it had a lot of political implications. So the people at the time, they were expected to submit to the Roman Empire. They were expected to submit to the emperor both financially and spiritually. So what a lot of these people had to do, they worshipped many gods. They were polytheists. And they would offer their sacrifices and included in those gods was the emperor of Rome. And the Roman Empire thought this is the best way to do things. This is the best way to, uh, to live. And it also helped because it proved people's loyalty to the Roman Empire. Now, there was only one group, one group who was exempt from this. And it was the Jewish people. Because the Jewish people... They were monotheists. They believe in one God, the God of Israel. And the problems all came up when Gentiles or pagans, as Jews would call them, would leave their old gods behind to follow Jesus. The government didn't really know what to do with this group of people. They were like, are you Jews? Are you not? Do you get the exemption or not? And so the, they would turn to the Jewish leaders and be like, yo, you guys need to figure this out, sort it out. Uh, uh, you guys need to, to, to figure it out. And Jews would, would look at circumcision as a way to prove that you were actually a Jew. But the problem also was that people who were getting to know Jesus, who chose to follow Christ, they weren't necessarily trying to follow all the Jewish traditions. And this brought serious implications, serious issues for the identity of the Jewish people. The Jewish people believed that they were unique. They were a unique chosen people by God. But as more non-Jewish people came to follow Jesus, the more the identity crisis of the religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders grew. And so they would turn to circumcision. And that was one more barrier, one thing that did not allow somebody to be a part of the family of God. Now I'm telling you all this because I want you to notice something. Anytime there is some sort of clear and drastic move of God, our societal structures begin to be threatened, all right? Anytime we see what we would call revival or an obvious outpouring of the Holy Spirit, these barriers, these things that we have created to separate us from each other, they begin to shake, they begin to crumble. Because like I said earlier, the good news of Jesus cannot be contained in the barriers that we have created as a society because the good news of Jesus is for all humanity, for every single person. And there are several things that I want you to notice about this particular theme in Galatians about circumcision. Here's the first one. 
Circumcision is a symbol that represents any tradition that is used to exclude people from the family of God. All right, Paul's not just fighting against circumcision, but he's fighting against any tradition, any practice that's keeping people away. And as you read this book, I want you guys to ask yourself some questions, especially when this theme of circumcision comes up. It's this, what are those barriers that we have created that don't allow people to experience the life that Jesus talked about or life abundantly? What are those barriers that society has set up that don't, don't allow people to live life fully? Maybe the more important question is this, how have I, how have we participated in creating those barriers? So as you're reading this book, Anytime that circumcision is brought up, yes, Paul's talking about that particular issue, but it's also a symbol for any sort of practice or, or, or tradition that is keeping people from being part of the family of God. And here's the second thing, and I want you guys to really pay attention, all right? Being called different is not a good enough reason to continue practicing harmful traditions. Being called different is not worth it. I understand that as a society, especially here in the U.S., we want to be unique. We want to be special. I get that, you know, but it might not be worth it, especially if the, the things that you are doing are just bad ideas. When I was in college, I had one of those phases where I wanted to be different and unique, you know, so I grew up my hair. I would like drive around with my friends in a tricycle. Like, it was a weird time, you know? But I wanted to be different. I wanted to be unique. One of the ways that I tried to be different is um, I used to have, like, this Galaxy phone, this Samsung phone, and it didn't really work very well. And so I was kind of fed up. I was done with it. And so I went to my dad's, one of my dad's drawers, and I found an old Nokia flip phone. All right? And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to rock this. This is going to be my phone. I put my SIM card in it. I slapped like a, an Apple sticker on it. And I wrote a 7 because the iPhone 7 was only a dream back in the day. You know, and I called it. This was my iPhone 7. And I would rock it, man. People would make fun of me. I didn't care. I was different. And it wasn't until like, <clears throat> it was like just several weeks later that I had to come to the realization like this is not working at all for several reasons. One, I, I was too lazy to update my contacts. I didn't actually put my contacts like who was there. So I would get random numbers like who is calling me? Who is texting me? Who are you all the time? Remember when we used to have to memorize numbers? Dark times, friends. Those were dark times. Uh, the other difficult part was, was obviously the typing right? There's some letters that you have, there's some letters you have to click four times, right? Four, that's barbaric. Sorry, guys, I'm gonna drink water. Mm. That is barbaric, right? Those are, those are, that's crazy, you know? And you can only be so fast. Like, some of us got really good at it, right? But you hit a wall. At the end of the day, it's just not a good way to, uh, to communicate. And, and I wanted to be different and all, but eventually I had to come to the realization, this is not working at all. I worked, I saved up, I got myself an iPhone and I haven't looked back and it's been great, right? And you know, this particular illustration, my Nokia phone was not uh, harming anybody, right? Maybe just me and my social life and my work life. But, um, but there's some things that we do that actually exclude people, that keep people away, right? And maybe we've gotten to We've, we've started looking into them and we've gotten to a place where we say, oh, that's just what makes us different. If, it is, 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 if it's excluding people, it's not worth it. So we need to analyze our religious traditions 
and make sure that they are not that. The third thing that I want to share is just because we have been doing something for a long time does not mean what we are doing is good. There's plenty of things in our life that we've been doing for forever that we should continue doing, right? But I hear people use longevity as an excuse, as a way to excuse some harmful things. People that say, that's how we've always done things. We have been doing it this way forever. How many times have you heard phrases like these and, and to excuse kind of harmful behavior? How many times have you heard this in your job, at your work, at school, Right? You've heard people say, no, it's just been this way. But th this can be really harmful. I have heard people try to use longevity to excuse their racism and homophobia. I've heard people use these phrases to explain the cycles of pain and abuse in their families. And people have given in to these harmful realities just because this is how it's always been. It's been this way forever. Maybe, I think we need to make it a practice. This is for you in your professional life, in your family life, in your religious life as well, your religious circles and, and traditions. You need to make it a practice to analyze the things that we do, especially those things that we've been doing for a long time, and question them and ask, are they harmful? Are they still helpful? I believe that if we make it a practice, we will let go of a lot more things that are worth letting go of. I'm going to read here in verse 14. Paul says, may, and this is so good, guys. May I never boast of anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is anything, but a new creation is everything. Man, that is beautiful. Paul says that he will only boast on the cross of Christ. This is how he will be branded. He says that through the cross, he has been crucified to the world and the world has been crucified to him. Paul believes that through the cross of Christ, he has surrendered. He has given up all the desires of the world, all, all the attachment, and the world has also lost interest in him. Paul enters into the space of full surrender to Christ and is letting go of his desires towards the, the, the cosmos of the world. Right, as it says in the Greek, he's letting go of any desire to, to conform to the barriers that this society, that this world has set up. He is dying to the ego that causes so much division. And in verse 15, again, neither circumcision or uncircumcision is anything, but a new creation is everything. Paul talks about this a lot. Paul talks about the new creation. He believes that God is doing something new and he's doing something new in our lives as well. But for Paul, there's a particular moment in history where there's a shift that happens towards a new creation. You see, if, if you read through the Old Testament, you see a lot of stories of beauty and deep encounters with God. But you also see a lot of stories of tragedy, of loss, of pain. You see stories of people doing some terrible things in the name of their God. People are trying to figure stuff out. They're trying to figure out who they are, what the, why they're even here, 
you know, who God is, but they haven't received the full revelation of who God is. Then fast forward to the first century, we see uh, a society that is, that is dominated by the Roman Empire. They are dominated by, by the demands of a tyrant. Emperor Tiberius is king, is God, that is all there is, there's nothing else, and people are living in the shadows under the, the oppressive Roman Empire. They're living, living in darkness, right? And out of nowhere, this Jewish rabbi comes in and starts saying these crazy things. There is more. There is something else. The kingdom of God is at hand. He also says this, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus would later be sentenced to death in an attempt to prove that this is all there is. There's nothing else. We're here to live. We're here to supply the demands of the current establishment and die. That is it. And they killed him for that. Now, just as a quick side note, like I hear a lot of people when they talk about the life and death of Jesus, they say Jesus came to this world and was a nice guy. And he was, he's calling us to be nice. Guys, I know that there's a lot in the Gospels that call us to be nice people, right? And we should be nice people. I really believe that. But we cannot limit the life and death of Jesus to, to just this, this push to be nice, right? Nobody gets killed. Nobody gets murdered, sentenced to death, and crucified for being a nice guy. Like Jesus went into the, to, to, like entered into space and time, saw the, the, the hierarchies, right? The levels that society has had, had created, the barriers the walls and flipped everything upside down. He was disruptive and he calls us to be disruptive followers of Jesus as well. And so they sentenced him to death and Jesus dies, right? But nothing, no one could have imagined what happened three days later that Jesus would raise from the dead and in doing so would change the trajectory of the world forever. For Paul, there is a before and after. Before the resurrection, there is, there is a world that, 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 seem, uh, that death seemed to have the final say, right? And, and you could see that in the psyche of the believers, but Jesus defeats death. He raises from the dead and sets everything on a different path, sets everything in motion. And that resurrection is not just for Jesus, but for us as well. Paul believes this. Romans 8, 11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through the spirit that dwells in you. If we call ourselves believers in Jesus, if we truly believe in the life the death and resurrection of Jesus, if we believe that Jesus raised from the dead, then we have to live as though Jesus actually rose from the dead. That changes everything. That means that we no longer see a world that is doomed. We no longer see a world that, that is just going to die, right? We, see, uh, we don't see a world that where death has the final say, but we see a world where the kingdom of God has planted its flag and is going to every single corner, every single, single dark corner of our world, of our society and of our lives and bringing hope and is resurrecting everything. That's how we have to see the world. For Paul, new creation is everything. This is everything. And so why? Why uncircumcised? It doesn't matter, Paul says. It doesn't matter, right? New creation is everything. For Paul, there's something happening in front of us. And he doesn't want to miss out. 
I want you guys to know this for, for a fact that God is doing something new. God is doing something new, a new creation. We need to look, we need to be people who look out into the world and notice that God, Jesus, is resurrecting everything. That's happening right in front of us, and he can do the same for you. Jesus can resurrect your life as well. And it would be a shame if we miss out on that because of things that don't matter. We don't want to miss out on what God is doing. If there's a moment in my life that just like epitomizes a newness, new life, new beginnings, it was my wedding day. How many of you guys are married here? Raise your hand. Yeah, proud. You guys can be proud of that. Yeah. Good. It was my wedding day. I've been married for two years to this amazing girl, Hazel. Hazel, I love you. You're awesome. Wow. I had, to, I had to embarrass her. Um, and, and it was the, one of the biggest days, of the biggest moment of my life. It was so special. And when we got engaged, we started planning. We started prepping. And I know like during the prep phase, during the planning phase of a wedding, I know things can get pretty stressful. And there were moments for us where, where uh, you know, it was kind of stressful. It was kind of wild times. But for the most part, Hazel and I crushed it. Like, we did a really good job in this whole planning thing, all right? Like, and I knew this was going to happen. We're, you know, it was like a power couple type situation, you know? We went in there and we did this planning thing so well. Hazel, she has such an incredible eye for detail and design. I knew everything was going to be beautiful. I basically plan programs and events for a living. Like, this is going to be a piece of cake. So we had every single thing planned out. We had charts on charts, financial breakdowns, how every single detail. Detailed, very detailed list of how everything was going to go to the second. And we had amazing, amazing family, right, that helped us out. An amazing bridal party that supported us throughout the entire thing. It was kind of fire, right? We were just power coupling it up. And we were involved in every single detail. Wedding, wedding planning, no, wedding planner, no way. We're not going to do that, right? We were involved in every single detail. Hazel actually handcrafted the, the, num the table numbers and she stained it and, and, and wrote the numbers so beautifully. I, we couldn't find a song to walk down the aisle to. So I wrote a song. I wrote guitar parts for the guitar. Devin over here was one of them. I wrote guitar parts for him, you know. We were involved in every single thing. And I remember uh, somebody would, people would give us advice. And one of, one of our friends was like, hey, just so you guys know, like, whatever happens that day is going to happen, right? Don't worry. Like, if something goes wrong, don't stress out because this is your day. And you know what I would tell him? I'd be like, don't worry, nothing's gonna go wrong. <laughs> Our wedding is gonna be perfect. Every single detail was thought through. And the day came. I found myself, it all happened so fast. I found myself ready to walk down the aisle. I have my dad on this side, my mom on this side. And we're ready to walk down the aisle. This once in a lifetime moment. Everything, I'm so confident because everything is set up. The, the band is, is locked, you know. The design looks beautiful. Uh, the, our photography team, the people we've hired, like they're just in their places, ready to go. And I confidently walk down the aisle. Wow, we did it. This is it. This wedding is perfect. And as I'm walking down the aisle, literally like I'm walking down the aisle, okay. 
one of my tíos who thinks he's a photographer. You know how like you have those uncles who like they bought a DSLR camera and they're like, you know, they think they're photographers, right? I have like five or six of those. It's, it's, it's bad. So one of my tíos came out with his DSLR camera and steps into the aisle and starts taking pictures and he's, and he's going for it, right? He's a photographer, so he's in the band, band, right? Taking pictures, getting all creative or whatever. And I'm like, what is this guy doing? And I noticed that the professional photography team, it's like having to move out of the way, right? They're not able to get the shots because my deal with his DSLR is just going for it, right? I'm like, what is, and I'm this close. I'm starting getting so frustrated. I'm this close to being like, tío, por favor. Like, what what do you think this is? And I start getting kind of heated, right? I'm like, oh, no. And like literally, like everybody's sitting. We're walking down. Everybody's looking and taking, you know, pictures and crying and stuff. And I'm like, I'm this close of just going off on him. And my mom notices and she squeezes me tight. You know that? You know what I'm talking about? That, that squeeze, like, you know, she's like, mijo, no te preocupes, don't worry about it. Let it go, it's gonna be fine. I'm like, but mom, no, yeah, and just enjoy, you know. And so I consciously have to make this decision of like, all right, take a deep breath. It doesn't matter. Hopefully the shots came through. I'm gonna just, I'm just gonna let it go. What's gonna happen is gonna happen. So I go to my place, I turn around, I take a deep breath and I make a decision. You know what, what's, what's gonna happen is gonna happen as my tío in the corner of my eyes, just, you know, taking his pictures. I take a deep breath, and the moments that followed could only be described as pure magic. I look, and the love of my life is walking down the aisle, and she looks stunning. And all of a sudden, nothing matters. Nothing else matters. We're just locked because this is the moment we have both dreamed about for our entire lives. And I am not missing a second of it. Turns out there was a lot of things wrong at that wedding, but nothing, nothing mattered. It didn't matter because I just couldn't miss a single second. And I was telling somebody about my, I think Amy, I was telling you about my wedding recently. And I, I told her, it was one of the few moments in my life where I was so incredibly present because there's no way that I was gonna let anything that didn't matter, it wasn't gonna let me miss my moment, miss our moment together. We believe that God is doing something beautiful right in front of us. God is resurrecting the world as we speak. And it would be a shame if you miss out on what God is doing right in front of you because you're focused on things that don't matter. God is ready to transform your life and make you into a new creation. And truly, new creation is everything. I want to leave you with this. This is my hope for you. May you truly believe in the resurrection of Jesus. May you let go of the things that don't matter and are not essential. And may you experience the new thing that God is creating right in front of you. Let me pray for you. Jesus, we believe that you are doing a new thing. 
to this world that seems sometimes to be falling apart, God, we say no. We believe in a God that reigns over everything, that your resurrection has allowed us to see that new life is possible. And we don't want to miss it. We don't want to miss it at all, God. Please, God, allow us to get rid of our distractions, get rid of the things that are not essential. We believe that new creation is everything. And may we not miss out on the beauty that you are creating right in front of us. In your name we pray, amen, amen. Let's stand up and sing one more time.